Hey, in America, if there's one thing we all hold in common, we are freedom-loving people. But how many of you know that freedom that we've received and the freedom that's been ordered by our Constitution now has to be sustained? And that was the tricky part that our founders wrestled with. How do you sustain? How do you keep the freedoms that we have been entrusted with? We're going to talk about that on our podcast today, and we're going to be introduced to a concept called the Golden Triangle of Freedom. Three important pithy little statements that all work together and and form a triangle, all of which must be kept in perfect tension uh, if we are to keep and enjoy and sustain this amazing gift of freedom and liberty that we enjoy as Americans. You will not want to miss this podcast. Please tune in and join us today. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We're thrilled you would tune in and join us for this uh, half an hour or 45 minutes or so. We'll see how long we roll today. Uh, But we're talking about some really, really important things as it relates to liberty and especially sustainable liberty. How do we continue uh, in this great American experiment uh, that we've enjoyed now for, uh, what, 247 years? Was that right? I forget. The, I, and I'm Quick bad math. at math, so I yeah. shouldn't have even thrown that out there. But it's been a long time, and, uh, yeah. and we want to know how to sustain it. So Yeah, I mean, if, if you're like me watching the news and you look at what's going on in America today, you feel like, you know, boiling the frog a little bit. bit <laughs> you know, you just turn the temperature up a little bit more and more and more. And next thing, that, you know, the frog is boiling. It doesn't even know what's going on. It's like we're losing liberty a bit. At a time, subtly, you know, just so that no one would notice. But if you kind of look at history and context, you realize, man, they're cranking that heat up a little quicker and quicker and quicker. I think everybody's starting to feel the heat uh, on a variety of fronts. And you realize, wait a minute, if if we don't get back, figure this thing out and uh, figure out the the secret sauce, so to speak, um, we can't just believe this is going to go on indefinitely um, and we're going to live happily ever after, you know, the, the the strains and the stresses on the system are showing and I think everybody realizes that. And, and we're learning, you know, especially through this book by Aaron Metaxas, if you can keep it, uh, referring to Benjamin Franklin's famous statement to after the Constitution, uh, saying hey, we create a republic if you can keep it. If you can keep it, yeah. But we're, we're learning the fragility, really all freedom uh, of the liberties that we enjoy, we take it for granted. That is not, we, we can take it for granted because it's not like a solid thing because you look, look at the history of mankind, freedom is like a blip. Yeah. You know, most of the time people live in tr- tremendous tyranny and chaos. Right. You know? And we were saying too, you know, as Americans, we can't just go like, oh, everybody lives in a country like ours. No, nobody lives in a country like ours. And the liberties and freedoms and things that we've been granted, our understanding of government, uh, of self-government, uh, the government that the those uh, government leaders are servants of us, that they exist to protect our liberties that are God-given liberties. Right. I mean, all these crazy ideas as we have highlighted in a previous podcast, came from the Bible, and and this unique American experiment in liberty um, is just that. It it is absolutely unique. And so part of our our heart in these podcasts is to make sure, especially the younger generation, but I'm speaking to our generation, I'm throwing you in my generation, you just age quite a bit. But anyway, um, (laughs) that if we don't recover these truths, 
we lose the truth, we lose the nation. That's how important this is. Well, speaking of recovery of truth, I mean, this next chapter we're talking about, yeah. the Golden Triangle of Freedom, well, starts out with Arimataxis listening to a, a, a lecture by Oz Guinness. Yes. And after he heard the truth spoken, he's like, I, I mean, he's Arimataxis is Harvard educated, right? right? right. Or, or Stanford. I forgot. Harvard, yeah. Harvard, Harvard yeah. educated. He's a Yaley. Yaley. Yeah, he's probably mad at us for <laughs> confusing the two. They're all the same, those Ivy Leaguers. The, the point is, when he heard this discussion by Oz Guinness, he's like, how come yeah. I have never read this, studied this before? You okay. know? Yeah, so, so let's, let's pause. So maybe some new names here. Um, Pastor Andrew just talked about the golden triangle of freedom uh, and this and Oz Guinness. Oz Guinness, what I love about Oz, just like the last book we read, the author was from India, so he brought a multicultural perspective. Oz Guinness is from over the pond, uh, from Great Britain. He's a brilliant uh, thinker. He's written, I think, over 25 books, and he's one of my favorite authors because he writes a lot about the things we're talking about right now. And uh, and this concept, Golden Triangle of Freedom, he introduces in this book right here. We're, we're going to give you guys lots of good stuff to read. This is called A Free People Suicide, Sustainable Freedom, and the American Future by Oz Guinness. We might have to pick that one up and, uh, and use that as a deep dive. But one of the things that Guinness points out, he says, the founders did a magnificent job job of creating our liberty by winning the revolution. So we, we, we created liberty and then ordering our liberty by giving us a constitution. So now we, we know rights and checks and balances and so, so forth. Um, but he said we must also work consciously at sustaining our freedom. And that's the tough part because he brings out an irony. He says the greatest enemy of freedom is freedom. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of a perplexing statement. But what he's saying is, if we don't understand the nature of freedom, and we don't learn uh, uh, how to understand freedom as our founders thought of it, which is the golden triangle, um, then we will either move into licentiousness, which is total anarchy and chaos, or we'll have to order that freedom through um, tyranny, uh, which is way too much government, which is what you get when you have a people who have no virtue. Yeah. And so um, he's sitting at this lecture, and he's stunned because he's well-educated. He, he, he reads a lot. He has had you know, he had an Ivy League training. Oh, Aramataxis. Aramataxis now, yeah. And he's sitting there listening to Oz Guinness introduce concepts that were commonplace among our founders. There wasn't one of our founders who didn't share what we're going to talk about as a, as a foundational belief. And he is stunned that he, and as he said, virtually everybody in the room, Americans, had never heard of these concepts before. You know, I, when I went out uh, to the Family Research Council Conference for Pastors, uh, part of that event included a tour of the Capitol, which was absolutely amazing. And David Barton, you know, uh, of Wall Builders, led that tour. And he took us through the rotunda, and he's pointed out the pictures that are hanging in the rotunda and the spiritual significance of those. He showed us the artwork in the Capitol and a lot of the statues and the quotes. And, you know, in the in the House of Representatives overlooking the house is Moses, you know, um, with the Ten Commandments. And uh, and you're just going, wow. I mean, I, I literally was so moved by the spiritual nature uh, of our nation's founding, by godly people, I, I, I was so moved. I stood behind one of the large uh, pillars there in the rotunda, and I had tears just running down my cheeks. I was, I was, two things were going on emotionally for me. I was, I was grieved uh, that I, first of all, I was mad that I'd never heard this before in any of my public education classrooms. 
And then I was grieved that we have lost all of this and, and that this, we're, we're raising a generation that knows nothing about this. That, that's part of what inspired me to read books like this because I realized um, if I don't, I'll never know the truth about who, who these people were or, or the vision that they had for America. And so I can relate to, to Metaxas's feelings. I really could. Like, how come we, how come we have never heard this before? Right. So let's, let's dive in and talk about this concept today, the golden triangle of freedom. Very, very important for us as Americans. The first point that he brings up uh, that he calls the secret formula to American freedom is that um, freedom requires virtue. Let's talk a little bit about that. Freedom requiring virtue. Yeah. What's the connection? I think the easiest ways to think about it is, you know, the more mature you are, like my kids, you know, the the the, the less mature are, the more restriction they have. Yep. But the more freedom they have, then they might be able to drive the car. I mean, sorry, the more virtue they have, the more mature they are, the more responsible they are, then you might give them the car keys. Then you can say, hey, go spend the night with your friends, right? So that's a basic way to think about it. But, but if they're immature, they're disobedient, they're rebellious, then as a good parent, I have to come down and give them more restrictions so they have less freedom. Yep, right? yep. Good illustration. And it was Benjamin Franklin who many throw out as one, you know, a deist or certainly one of the, the, the more irreligious of the founders. But Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. He didn't say that virtuous people might be able to have freedom or that or that some non-virtuous people could could demonstrate freedom. He said only virtuous people can be free. Mm. And again, this isn't one of the more evangelical uh, of the founders. This is Benjamin Franklin. And so that's a pretty powerful a pretty powerful statement. He said also as nations become corrupt and vicious uh, they have more and more need of masters. And that word vicious is where we get our root word vice, uh, which means simply as people are full of vice, as they have no virtue, then as we pointed out, then an exterior source must come in and control them. So the more, for instance, the more chaotic America gets, the more uh, uh, full of vice we get, the less virtue we have as a people, the bigger our government has to get, the larger our police force has to get, uh, because you're going to have to restrain all these people who have no virtue. And I think even in America today, we have experiment, we have pockets of this. Just look at some of the, the city, the larger cities. There are heavy restrictions, mm -hmm. heavy laws, regulations, where some of the suburbs or smaller towns are much more free because there's more center around religion, yep. more center around you know, family values, morality, and then you don't need all these restrictions. Yep. Like I think the example we said last time is, I can you know, keep my garage door open all day in, in, in where we live, and that's a blessing because there is moral. So there's no re less restriction, there's more freedom. Whereas in a city, you, you're not gonna be able to do that. You, know, right. you don't even wanna park your car on the streets in the city. You right, know? right. You know, and and uh, what Metaxas is pointing out is, this, this was not a controversial concept for our founding fathers, that you have to have virtue to be free. Like if we said this today, we would be called moralist and who do you think you are? And, oh, you're trying to shove your views down everybody's throat. Right. Here you are talking about, you know, morality and virtue. And uh, it has no place in, in discussions about government. <clears throat> and what we want you to understand is th this was common sense among our founders. This wasn't even debatable. This, they didn't spend time arguing this point. This was an absolute given. You know, let me give you some more quotes. 
notes here for our, those of our listeners. Um, this is June 1776. One of our founders, John Adams, who was an incredibly devout Christian, um, he said the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. He went on to warn that if the people of this newly formed United States did not have virtue in greater measure in the years ahead, ahead than they did at the writing of the Constitution, then liberty wouldn't last. And I quote Adams here. He says, they may change their rulers and the forms of government, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty. They will only exchange tyrants mm-hmm. and tyrannies. Yeah. And now this is amazing because America, in my mind, seemed pretty virtuous at that time. And here's Adams saying, if we don't improve on the current condition of our of the virtue of our populace, we're in trouble. Uh, and I think he was prophetically forewarning us of the times in which we're living in now, because he said, you can change your rulers out, but all you're going to have is more tyrants and more tyrannies. That's a pretty strong statement. Yeah. You know, the Federalist Papers, written by James Madison, are really like a, a commentary um, on the Constitution and on the founding documents. And I want to read here from James Madison as well. He says, as there is a degree of depravity in mankind that requires a certain degree of circumspection and distrust, so there are other qualities in human nature that justify a certain portion of esteem and confidence. Republican government presupposes the existence of these qualities in a higher degree than other, than other form. Uh, were the pictures that have been drawn by the political jealousy of some among us faithful likenesses of human character, the inference would be that there is not sufficient virtue among men for self-government, and that nothing less than the chains of despotism can restrain them from destroying and devouring one another. Once again, he's saying, if we don't have restraint on the inside, then the chains of despotism will restrain (coughs) from destroying each other. You know, our founders had a Christian view of human nature. They recognize that if, if there's not a restraint on the human heart, uh, through Christ and through the scriptures, people will live out their selfish, carnal, vicious, nasty, you know, lying, cheating, stealing nature. I mean, they did not have an optimistic view of human nature. They had an, a biblical understanding that humans are fallen. Yes, they're capable of great things, but they're also capable of wicked things. And, um, and so, therefore, the need for virtue. Now, Alexis de Tocqueville, who's another Frenchman who came to the United States and, uh, and checked us out, he began asking some important questions. He said, why did the French Revolution end in a nightmare of guillotine executions and worse? And why had the French struggled endlessly with political upheavals and violence in the decades since the revolution while America had enjoyed unprecedented success? Those were the questions he was trying to ask because the French Revolution and the American Revolution went two different directions. And of course, in his two-volume work, Democracy in America, he started asking these questions. And here, here was a kind of a summary of some one of his conclusions. He said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Now, this is a Frenchman coming to the American colonies at the time and realizing that it was clear from him, from his perspective, that the strength of America lay in the strength of the pulpit. This is a pretty powerful statement, because right now we do not have a lot of people that have a, a high view of the church or the pulpit or the, or the role of the pulpit, especially in matters of public policy. And what de Tocqueville noticed was it was the strength of the 
pulpit that led to the strength of the pew, which led to the strength of the community, which led to the strength of the nation. If there were, and what was the, what was the secret sauce for creating a virtuous people? It was the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, a powerful connection that even today we have a lot of pastors go, well, we're not supposed to talk about politics. And yet our founders said, no, 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 no. You cannot have free people without a virtuous people. And you can't have virtuous people without churches. And you can't have good churches without pulpits. And you can't have good pulpits without preachers that are preaching the word of God and applying it to the issues of life. Right, so going back to that golden triangle, yep. one side of it is virtue. Yep. And, uh, and <clears throat> the other side is religion. Religion sustains virtue, Right. And then with a virtuous people, then you have freedom. But then freedom then sustains uh, religion or freedom of religion, right? right? That's so that's the beautiful that's triangle. triangle. Right. Yep, yep. And so um, he wrote this. He said, I considered the mores or the habits of the heart to be one of the great general causes responsible for the maintenance of a democratic republic. And then he said that by the term mores, he meant literally habits of the heart. Um, liberty cannot be established without morality. And so... Here, here's the point. There's not enough government and not enough police to enforce morality on every single citizen. So there has to be a police officer in your heart called the human conscience, right? And you realize, no, I'm not going to steal that. It doesn't belong to me. No, I'm not going to cheat on this because that would be wrong. No, I'm not going to defraud you in a business deal because uh, that's not virtue. In other words, I'm making, I'm policing myself so that government doesn't have to police me. But what's, what's doing the policing? It's the habits of the heart. It's, it's the difference between evil and good. It's right, the difference between right and wrong. And then where do we learn all those things? We learn them from our faith, from the, from the Bible. And this was common sense again among our founders. And so uh, the first principle, uh, we established the first triangle. Uh, going back to it, freedom requires virtue. Second leg of the triangle, is virtue requires faith. So some people would say, this kind of gets back to the question, can people be good without God? A lot of moralists today, humanists, secular humanists today, um, say, absolutely, we don't need God. We, we, can ha we can establish morality, human-based morality, apart from God. Our founders would have disagreed strongly. What's the connection there? Virtue requires faith. Well, I, I think... A lot of philosophers or humanists, well, humanist philosophers will, will, will articulate that. But to me, that's on the micro scale of in, selected individuals who maybe you know have some kind of strong Christian understanding. Now they have rejected a God, but they have been yeah. trained so, in some so, Christian worldview. So right? we're, we're, we're the atmosphere in which we are breathing today. Like, right. hey, it's wrong for you to kill that person. Well. Why? Well, they might not be able to tell you why. Um, but they but feel that, that way. That's how they're trained. That's yeah, how they were reared. That's how they were reared. The but yeah, where, did, where did that idea come from? Right, right. Well, and they're not thinking on a larger scale. Uh, and on a larger scale, if you look at the history of mankind, it, it doesn't work. Atheism, a lack of accountability, uh, just basic accountability, uh, are basically when no one's watching, what would you do? Yeah. Right? You know, and, and basically religion says someone's always watching. That in itself exactly. is a powerful, powerful, and you will be held accountable. You for, will be accountable yeah. for whatever you do. You know, one of the one of the secular atheistic philosophers asked the question. You know, what's the difference between helping the little old lady cross the street or just running her over? And why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Like, like, why is it good to help the little old lady across the street? I mean, why not run her over? Like, 
who says? What difference does it make? In other words, where, how do you make those kind of moral distinctions? Why do we all inherently know that, no, it's not good to run the lady over. It's, it, help her out. She's weak. She needs, she, she needs help. It's a, it's a virtuous thing to help her. But we assume these things. Like, where did that come from? And in an evolutionary scheme, where all you have is matter and chemicals, where, where did that come from? Um, in other words, these other worldviews do a terrible job of explaining why we all inherently know that it's more virtuous to help the little old lady across the street. Um, and, and our point is our founders believed that you could not have a foundation for virtue apart from the scriptures, apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. Let me read here another quote from John Adams. He says, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions and unbridled, uh, I'm sorry, with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. This, this, this is such a radical statement today. Imagine standing on the, at the floor of the House or the Senate and saying, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. I mean, you would have... You would have chaos uh, erupt. Um, people would be calling you, you know, a bigot, a religious bigot. What are you trying? To, are you trying to impose your views on us? And yet they understood. Like I love that imagery of a whale breaking through a, a little fishing net. In other words, the Constitution is just ink on a page. If people do not have the the mores or the habits of the heart to agree to follow and to obey the law, so to speak. Um, so Adam understood that the secret to self-government is that the people themselves have to be self-governing, which is to say they must be motivated by something beyond the law. If it's just the written ink on a page, people will find a way to get around it. People will find a way to, is that really what that word means? Um, you know, there, there's always loopholes that fallen people are looking to exploit when they don't have virtue on the inside, when they, when they don't have a consciousness telling them, you know what, do what's right, uh, even if it's to your own disadvantage, do what's right. Yeah, if you follow the law, only the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, the meaning behind the law, basically people would just create more law to cover more loopholes, and you need more enforcement, you need more IRS agents, you need more FBI, you need more police. Next thing you know, all the resources go to a police state. Again, you can, you, can, you can do that, but then your liberty starts shrink, 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 get small, small, small. Small, small, yeah. small. Next thing you have when you look at the number of people incarcerated in America, for instance, you know I think that's an, that is a societal indicator of the level of internal virtue and self-restraint that we have. The more people you have incarcerated, the less self-restraint you have. And really, it's a sign, it's an indictment of the Church of Jesus Christ, because who's ultimately responsible for the moral well-being of the citizens of a country? It's the church and the effectiveness of the church. So I'm not here throwing stones, but but the, the greater incarceration rate we have, is, it's really an indictment on the job that the church is doing to impact people with the gospel and to provide the internal heart transformation that's necessary for virtue to exist in the first place. You know, he asked the question here, uh, other than one's religion or faith, what could motivate somebody to be virtuous or self-governing? In other words, what would make someone behave virtuously? That's a great question. It's loaded with a lot of values. We have to ask the first part, what is virtue? What's the standard of virtue, right? Yeah. And then why would you want to be virtuous? 
what motivates people to want to do the right thing? These are profound moral questions that our founders had to wrestle with. And for them, they always came back to the fact that it's just the gospel. It's it's the, the Christian faith. Now, there were many different Christian sects. We're not saying that they all were Baptists or Methodists or Presbyterians or whatever. We know that they weren't. They were, America was a, 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 a quilt work of a lot of different Christian sects, but they were all Christian. They they all believed in the scriptures, and they all believed that that was a foundation for morality, and and thus our founders shared those views because they were all Christians yeah. um, in one shape or form or another. Um, and so he brings up a really good question that we talked about. A lot of times we're borrowing the worldview of Christianity to explain why people who are not necessarily religious do the right thing. Um, but our founders were smart, smarter than that. Uh, here's another great quote by, by de Tocqueville. He said, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences re- uh, resulting from this state of things. He said, In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion, the spirit of freedom, marching in opposite directions. But in America... I found that they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. So he says in France, religion and freedom were opposites. Religion was viewed as you know stifling and controlling, and freedom for the French was being able to basically do what you wanted to do without any restraint. But the result was a bloodbath called the French Revolution. Now he's walking around the streets of America and going, wait a minute. Freedom and religion in America go hand in hand. Virtue and faith go hand in hand. There is no tension in America, and that was part of why he saw the strength of America. You know, we're reactionary people, you know, and and the French view of religion and freedom is a reaction to the institutionalized, the the merging of the institution of the church and the state. Right. Right. That's European, the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, whereas uh, 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 the, the founders were all coming from Europe. And they experienced religious persecution, not from other religions, but from Christianity themselves, from the church themselves, right? Yes. They experienced, that's why the Puritans and the pilgrims and come over. Yep. So they have a profound understanding of religious freedom. Now, in our world, America today, I think the struggle we have is, again, we don't have the same pressure point that the founders had of religious persecution well, by other point. Christians, right? It's a great point. So we need to recapture that in America today because, because the church or the religious institution are not talking about liberty. Right. right. So we, 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 we don't have that pressure that we felt from the founding fathers. So we need to now we might feel it pretty soon again, the well, religious persecution. And, and, and you bring up a really good point. It seemed like in America when when we were especially, for instance, battling for religious liberty, because the greatest attack on religious liberty came from the LGBT movement, which was basically saying, no, you're going to bake the cakes and you're, you're not only going to be tolerant of us, you're going to celebrate us or we're going to punish you. We're, we're going to sue you. We're going to cancel you, whatever. I started waving a flag, as many did, saying, wait a minute, this is a major attack on religious liberty. But we couldn't get the church or the pulpits to even pay much attention to it, because as you said, we've been, like, liberty is the air that we breathe. I mean, we we just assume and take it for granted. I've never heard a sermon outside before, you know, until recently and growing up that connected the Bible with liberty. 
I never had the Bible study you know, talking about those yep. things, right? And what a tragedy again. Right, again, until I started reading these books and hearing you preach, and I'm like, oh, wait a second. There is a distinct connection between our biblical worldview and foundation we have and the liberty we breathe today. Yeah. So so there's a disconnect there. But, right? but as you said, if it's usually the liberties that are not under assault are the liberties that we take for granted, and then eventually we take them for granted for so long, then they become under assault again. Yep. And then we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and I, so I think even COVID, I mean, we had, when we saw the government's response, especially in liberal states, we saw the government overreach and the trampling of personal liberties. All of a sudden people are going, wow. You know, so this was like a massive wake-up call for people because they realized you know, I've got somebody in Washington, D.C. telling me how to live my life down to the most, my, and telling me whether I can worship or can't worship. Uh, all of a sudden, we should have had a massive wake-up call. Unfortunately, the, much of the church, again, was roll over and die. Uh, don't be alarmed by this. Don't rock the boat. I think there was, as you pointed out, no theology. A lot of people standing in the pulpit today never connected the dots because they never had to. They never had to, and they never they were never taught that. And we exactly. have a whole missing generation. I want to talk about another threat to liberty right now is the weaponization of our police institute or federal institutes, yep. IRS, FBI, FBI Justice IRS, CIA, whatever you want to call it, right? Yep. That's a major liberty issue, okay? And, and, and I would argue that's, that's a major theological issue about corruption, about justice. God's a just God. You, need, you can't see through the lens, you know, lady justice is blind. I mean, that came from the, the fact that God doesn't favor one person over, over another. Yep. He's a just God. So there's a theological discussion about the weaponization of, 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 of your police institute against a certain part just because you don't like them. That should be a theological issue that few Probably no, most churches are not talking about any of those issues. We're not connecting the dot between liberty and theology these yeah. days. And you have to wake up quick because it, it, it does not take generations to lose these liberties. They can oh, be absolutely. taken away in a moment. No, it takes and half a generation. Yeah. You know, I, I watched Senator Holly, who I so appreciate, the, the great senator from the state of Missouri. He was grilling one of the FBI uh, directors or agents, and, uh, and he simply asked a question. It's, it's, it wasn't a question of whether this happened or not. He was asking the question about whether they thought it was a problem. He says, sir, do you find it problematic that the FBI would be uh, tasked by the previous administration um, uh, or by the, by the current Obama administration, or it was Obama or Biden administration, I can't remember which one, but, but basically that the uh, agents were sent to infiltrate Catholic churches and to monitor the speech from the pulpit from from catholic priests to determine whether that that was that speech was a threat to democracy so so now we have the government putting plants in churches to monitor free speech and to determine whether they considered it a quote threat to democracy this is like stuff done in communist countries i mean this this is a, a complete trampling of of religious liberty and and this agent he could not get this agent to say anything but well i'm not free to comment on that and he said no 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 i'm not talking about commenting on the case i'm talking about do you think this would be a problem if if political forces task federal agencies 
to basically monitor the free speech activities of churches. Do you think that would be problematic? Well, I'm not able to comment on that. No, no, no. I'm not asking you to comment on it. Do you think this is wrong? It's simple. Is it wrong or is it not wrong? And this agent wouldn't even comment, would no comment whatsoever, which left Senator Holly just absolutely stunned because every American should say, yes, that's wrong. Of course you shouldn't be doing that. How, who does a government think they are? You know, what are you doing trampling on our liberties? Every American should feel that way, but we're at a point now where... Uh, again, I, I've seen people willing to ha hand off religious liberty uh, and even suggest that uh, we don't need freedom of speech, or at least not total freedom of speech, or whether it's the Second Amendment right to protect yourself with a gun. Uh, it's amazing how we've lost our understanding of why these pl were put in, in place in the first place. Yeah, but again, the, you know, most of the people in America talking about these issues are not pulpit-based. The talking heads, the conservative independent talking heads talk right, about this issue right. because there's not a connection. And this is where we got to get back to. The, the, these talking heads, political talking heads are probably not overtly Christian. They might be right-leaning, Christian-leaning, but they're not. They're certainly not pastors. I'm talking about voices like Tucker Carlson, guys right, like right, that, right? Right. right. But the pulpits itself, so what this lends to our atmosphere, to, to even the Christian at large, is there's no connection. Freedom's for freedom's sake. There's not a connection from freedom to the Bible. Right. We need to make that connection again. Right. We need to make that direct connection again to make the case. Because, again, even these guys who are who are looking for liberty, they want liberty and whatever, they don't have a route to stand on if they're not going back to the Bible, right? Yep, yep. So who's going to be the voice that says, hey, guys, all that liberty you're talking about over there, yeah. it actually connects to the Bible. And, and if we're not, so you guys can promote freedom all day long without the infrastructure of the scripture of a transcendent virtue that comes from God, not just because we think you're a nice guy, it's a transcendent force. We're still sinking sand. Yep. And, and, and uh, so, so it's our job, it's the church's job. And I've said this for years at Living Stones. I don't want Living Stones just to be where people come and hear a nice Bible sermon and their kids have a nice children's ministry. And boy, I love the worship and all that kind of stuff. We should be the thought leaders in our community and in our nation. Like, like we should be the ones connecting these dots. Because if we're not, as you said, freedom is just a, a vague term. Like, what is freedom? It's just another virtue among a sea of virtues. Yeah, that we all kind of define yeah. ourselves. There, there's, and apart from scripture, there's no yeah. transcendent definition. Freedom is a gift that overflows from the kingdom of God of a, of a virtuous people. It's it's not just another virtue like kindness and niceness. It's just another virtue that we come up with that we invented, right? Yep. Because if it is, then, then why is tyranny worse than freedom? Right. Be because freedom is at the heart of God. Yep. And God says, the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. <laughs> There's a, a scriptural backing to that. Amen. And so, so the point, big yeah. point here, big takeaway is you can't force people to do what's right. The law does not force people to do what's right. People will always find a way to circumvent the law if they want to. It's the heart, it's the virtue that comes from morality, which comes from the scriptures and from the Judeo-Christian worldview that lays the foundation for internal virtue and self-government, apart from which our constitution it does not work and our form of government cannot be sustained. Um, 
Let me, a couple good quotes here. This is George Washington, and and then we'll move on to the last point. Um, He says, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on the minds of peculiar structure, reason, and experience, both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. I'll say that again. National morality cannot prevail in exclusion of religious principles. George Washington said, you must have scripture, the Christianity, religious principle to sustain morality. If you throw the one out, the other one's going to go down the drain. Daniel Webster, I've always said and always will say that the studious perusal of the Bible will make better citizens, better fathers, better husbands. Um, Again, uh, Thomas Jefferson, can the liberties of a nation be thought to be secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that those liberties are a gift from God? that they are violated, but with his wrath. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So here's Jefferson, who's quoted as one of, you know, the most irreligious of the founders. Wasn't a Christian, didn't didn't believe the Bible, wasn't one of you, you know, certainly could not be considered in the camp of the Christian founders. How do, you, how do you say that when you look at this quote, can the liberties of the nation be thought to be secure uh, unless they are re- reviewed that these are removed, that these liberties come from God? He believed that all of our liberties came from God. And now most, I would say most elected officials today in Congress, certainly Democrats, don't believe that at all. Uh, that is no longer part of the Democrat, Democratic platform. Uh, God has been ejected, you know. Um, but yet this is Jefferson saying, we know where our liberties come from. They come from God. Um, so anyway, strong, strong point. Let's go to the last one. And we touched on this a little bit. Faith requires freedom. You mentioned that the reason America was founded is because uh, people, uh, and again, this has been expunged from history, our secular history, they didn't come here primarily looking for gold. Um, they came here looking for liberty. They came here looking for a place where they could practice their faith freely. And as you mentioned, whether it's the Puritans or the French Huguenots or uh, some of these persecuted groups, we had a melding together of church and state and where, where a state religion was being promoted. So if you're not a Catholic and you're a Protestant, which the root word there being a protester of the Catholic doctrine or what or, or practices, you were burned at the stake. I mean, we talked about some of these folks on our previous podcast. Um, if you weren't of the state religion, you were persecuted. You were not given a pulpit. You, you were not allowed to speak. You couldn't read the Bible. You couldn't teach anybody. You couldn't have groups over a certain size. I mean, the whole history of religious persecution in, in Europe uh, and then in the nations of the world is is uh, terrible. Uh, it led to, to some of the underlying factors of the French Revolution. Why did people hate uh, the government and hate the church so much. It was because of all the exploiting that was going on. It was all the hypocrisy that they saw. That's part of why they were hanging the priests and um, and, and uh, chopping people's heads off. Uh, mm-hmm. They they were part of. They they just went the other direction. They rejected God. Whereas our founders said, "Wait a minute, it's not God that's the problem, or the church that's the problem. It's." It's when the church thinks it has more authority than it does, or when the state thinks it has more authority. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a it's a mob. It's a it's a thuggery of the church and the state together. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, what made America unique again was 
the incredible diversity. You can go back and look at states, you know, that were founded by different Christian sects. So you had Presbyterians, you had, you had Maryland was Catholics, you had Anglicans, you had Baptists. You could literally go back in the charters of these um, colonies, uh, told who it was that was founding that, that, that colony. Uh, and what made America unique was that for, for faith to thrive, it has to be uncoerced. You can't force people like Islam does convert or die. You know, here's the sword, convert or die. Um, because genuine faith has to be freely offered. It has to be something that you personally embrace, not that is shoved down your throat from the outside. So that means you have to have freedom. And that, this is where we get the foundation of freedom of conscience, freedom, uh, freedom to believe what we want to believe. And that the state has no place to come in and force a person to believe a certain thing, and that the church has no place to force people to believe a certain thing, that your conscience is between you and the Lord, and that that's a sacred, <coughs> a sacred gift from God. Mm -hmm. And someday you're going to stand before God, and you're going to give a, an account for your conscience and for what you believed, whether it was true or not. But, but no earthly institution has the power to coerce. And, uh, and again, this is a radical, radical understanding of liberty found nowhere. Even, even now you do a survey of the nations of the world. You do not find this kind of freedom of conscience. I mean, go to North Korea and see how free you are. Go to, go to communist China and see how free you are. Go to Iran or Iraq and see how free you are to go start an evangelical church there. Um, it's not going to happen. America is a unique place where the freedom of religion has been treasured and enshrined, even in our Constitution. Um, the freedom to believe what you choose to believe, the freedom to express your faith, not just in the four walls of your church, but in public. Um, and again, this is absolutely unique. And it's our Christian foundations, by the way, that give us this kind of tolerance and freedom, because it's why in America you'll, you'll find a mosque on one corner, you might find a Hindu temple on the other side of town. Uh, we're not saying you have to be a Christian to be in this nation. It's our Christian faith that says we respect we respect your faith and, and, uh, and your beliefs, and you have the freedom to operate here, again, as long as your beliefs are not undermining and attacking our nation and what our nation uh, believes in the values that we share as a nation. So there are limits, uh, but there's great tolerance and great freedom in America that it's found nowhere else in the world. Um, and I think that's, that, again, is the third leg of the triangle, which is important. I'm going back to the Tocqueville Hill. He says, while in America, one of the freest and most enlightened nations in the world, the people fulfill with fervor all of their outward duties of religion. So what he found here in America is, is people were very religious. It wasn't the secular mindset that eventually we won't need religion. No, people in America were more free than any other nation, and they were the most religious nation that the Tocqueville had ever seen, far more religious than France. Um, people personally choosing to worship, people personally choosing to study their Bibles, people personally choosing to give to their neighbor, to go to the nations, to share the gospel. Uh, he said the fervor, the religious fervor in this nation is amazing. And that fervor did not lead to tyranny. That fervor led to more freedom. Uh, so again, what, a, what an amazing connection. Uh, he says here, the character of the Anglo-American civilization is the product of two perfectly distinct elements that elsewhere have often made war with each other. But in America, they have succeeded in incorporating somehow into one another and combining marvelously. He says, I mean to speak of the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom. So again, 
we're told today, you Christians, you know, you're you're a threat to democracy. You're a threat to the freedom that we all enjoy. But but really, what people are saying is, you're a threat to my licentiousness. Mm-hmm. You're a threat to my freedom of expression. You're you're a threat to me being able to be a boy right. if I'm a girl. You know, you're a threat to all these things. Whereas uh, De Tocqueville said, no, no, no. In America, religion and freedom, hand in glove. Uh, what a unique, unique thing. Um, so the three, the three uh, triangles of liberty here, just by way of review. Help me out, my friend. We start with uh, liberty. Liberty is the first like, angle, the first side of the triangle. But how do you sustain liberty? You need virtue. You need morality. You need a yep. mature. You need a. You need a group of people who who take ownership, who care for one another, who says, you know what, on my own, even when no one's looking, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to cheat my taxes. I'm not going to, you know, steal from my neighbors because the garage door is open. You exactly. know, we're going to be we're going to be virtuous. But how do you sustain virtue? So freedom you, requires virtue. virtue, and what virtue requires faith. It requires religion. It requires the transcendent. Force outside of yourselves, outside of the law, outside of police, outside of the Constitution to say, I ought to do what is right even when no one's looking. I mean, I think it's the, it's the best way to describe it. And for, right? and for religion to flourish, it must have freedom. Freedom, right. Which means right. you cannot have a state-mandated religion. You can't persecute people for not believing what you believe. You have to give people the freedom to worship God yeah. according to the dictates of their conscience. And that has been the foundation of religious liberty in America. And again, it makes us absolutely unique. So, And then for, for freedom to be established, it, go, uh, it goes all the way back to the triangle again, and you just yeah. keep working your way around. But it's brilliant. Uh, and, the, and it gives us an idea of the unique tension points that must be kept in perfect right. balance for this freedom to be sustained. The problem in America today is, first of all, we denigrate the, the virtue of our nation. Our nation is founded on slavery and all these bad things. So America's a, America's bad, so our virtue is bad, so we need some new virtue. Religion's bad because it's, you know, blah, 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 so religion's yeah. bad. And you know what? Liberty still sounds good, but as, as they're chipping away our liberty more and more, no one really cares and no one really notices it unless, you know, it affects our pocketbook or anything like that. But when we lose liberty on, on other levels, no one really cares because because no one's fighting for liberty anymore. And yeah, slowly we don't mind the government apart. telling us more and more what to do or punishing people. I mean, I was thinking, again, right. people that lost their jobs during COVID because they wouldn't uh, take the vaccine. Um, people that were discharged from the military uh, because they refused to take the vaccine, even though the government said, no, you must take the vaccine or else. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you must bake the cake or else. Well, no, I mean... Uh- Increasing regulation. I mean, I'm talking about a mandating. I remember when uh, Obamacare kind of mandating, uh, went to the Supreme Court, mandating uh, paying for abortive cares. Yep. I mean, all those are just like encroachment, bit more and more, more and more encroachment, more yeah, and more regulations. It doesn't matter if you have a moral uh, uh, resistance against abortion, for instance. It doesn't right. matter. You're you're going to buy the policy and you're going to support it whether you like it or not. Bigger government, bigger and bigger government, yeah. more intrusive government, you know, you know targeting our, uh, the, the, our CIA or whatever, targeting our own people. I mean, all those different things. It's not just the COVID. That's we, just we a, could go on and on t- yeah. connecting the dots in our culture today. Um, but I think this is a very, very important discussion. We've got to get back to, to censorship, but free speech. That's yeah. another huge intrusion to to liberty. Big yeah. time. Uh, all the all the social media stuff that came out uh, that that yeah, uh, Elon Musk co- is collusion in. between government and yeah. and the social media companies. Yeah. yeah. So again, we we have to develop an appetite for liberty. The church has got to get back to being the leading voice for liberty. And I've tried to share for pastors for years. 
we weren't we didn't care about the abortion or at least we didn't seem to care we didn't seem to stand up on the on when marriage was under attack and now religious liberty is under attack now you tell me as a pastor what virtue or what what um what liberty is more central to what we do on on Sunday and throughout the week than the freedom of religion to speak and preach the gospel to read the bible and preach the freedom of religion freedom of conscience and freedom of speech again like I don't see a lot of pulpits talking about the freedom of speech. I, I, what I hear is a lot of, main, you know, more of activists talking about freedom of speech. It's same issue as before. The yep. pulpit needs to come out and say, "Hey, freedom of speech is is inherently a biblical value." So Absolutely. And if we about. if we lose it in the pulpit, we're going to lose it everywhere. Yeah, we're losing all these other places. Eventually, yeah. it's going to come to the pulpit. Yeah. Right. So we've got to speak. So, <laughs> so anyway, and I, uh, when you're watching this, I want to encourage you. If you're living near to Living Stones, we're doing a biblical citizenship class. It's going to be doing a deep dive on a lot of these issues. Um, uh, that's on Wednesday nights, and so uh, come on out Wednesday nights uh, six. I, it, it's tonight when we're recording this. It's our first one, and I need to figure out when because I can be there on time. I believe it's six or six thirty. Um, but anyway, uh, six six o'clock. So six o'clock Wednesday nights. We're going to be doing that for about the next six or eight weeks, um, and I hope you'll tune in. But hey, freedom's worth fighting for, and we're going to give you the tools to do that. Thanks so, so much for turning into this podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>